good news and great joy. Let me ask you right now. Do you have great joy? Do you? Do you want more joy? Do you want the greatest joy? Let me ask you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What's good? What's good in your life right now? In the midst of everything that maybe is difficult? In the midst of times of loss? What's still good in your life? Christmas tells us that those two words, good and great, are always true of every believer. That no matter what we're going through, life is still good because we have a good God. Life is still great we have a great God. But there are real times in life where there's darkness. And our verse today in Isaiah tells us that though we live in a time of darkness and though there are certainly seasons that are shadows and difficult to see, there's still goodness and there's still greatness and it's to be had in Jesus. And it's for here to us, it's here for us today. And that's today's message, that there is good news and there is great joy. And this is not just found on Christmas Day. This is found every day. It's not found under a tree. It's not found in a box. It's not found in an envelope. It's not found on Amazon. But it's available for same-day delivery right now. You can have it right now. You don't need to be connected to the Internet. You don't need to be connected to any cell service. The Holy Spirit, God, is here. Emmanuel, God with us. God is here right now, and he can deliver. He can deliver. He will deliver. You think about that word, deliver, and we often think about it in different ways. Like a woman's going to deliver a baby. She's going to get it out, right? Well, this is the day of delivery, and Jesus is born. We think about deliver, and of course, we also think about UPS trucks and FedEx and the, the post office, and yes, they usually deliver. They bring it, but not always on time, and not always in the shape that it was sent. But God always delivers on time and the gifts that we need the most. God will deliver. We think of deliver another way. That when we're going through difficult times and we're going through challenges and life is hard and we wonder, God, will you ever deliver me from this? And Christmas is the promise that God will deliver us from this. So let us pray. And let us open our hearts to the same day delivery that God himself will give. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the children we thank you for each other. We thank you for the person to our front and to our back and to our left and to our right. Lord, we thank you that we are here today to worship you and to honor you and to be with you and with each other. Father, we pray that for all of us here today that we would see how you deliver and we would receive in this delivery the good news and the great joy that we so desperately want and that we need and that you give 
because you are here. In your name, in Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, our message today is indeed good news of great joy. And that is a reason for praise. And so I'd like us to begin our message today in praise. And we have a responsive reading. Um, could we get that up on the screen, please? Would you stand with me and we'll do this together? It's from Psalm 148. And I'll read um, what's in white. Would you read what's both in yellow and italics? Let's say it, and as we say it, say it as you mean it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights above. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all His shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. And he established them forever and ever. Praise the Lord from the earth. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds. You mountains and all hills. Wild animals and all cattle. Kings of the earth and all nations. Young men and maidens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. His and he has raised up for his people a horn. Have a seat. This morning is... This morning as we, as we gather and as we have just heard God's word and as we have shared God's word, we have presented ourselves to him. We've presented ourselves to God in such a way that by praise we're saying, God, we believe in you. We are here. We want your light to shine on us. We want to be the people of God as you made us to be. You know, the world, the world celebrates Christmas pretty well. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of lights. There's a lot of presence. And there is sometimes goodwill among men to each other. But wherever you go out into the world, whether it's the mall or where we are right now with my family at Disneyland, or whether you go out into the streets or even in our own homes where we see lots of lights and trees and families gathering all around the world, there's a lot of joy because of Jesus in this world. But most of these people who celebrate Christmas don't know Jesus. And yet God's so good. God still shares his joy with them. But for you and for me, and for all who know Jesus, there is the real meaning and the real depth of the gift of Jesus in our lives. And God doesn't want us to miss it. I became a Christian around Christmas time 
1972, and I know that was just forever ago for most of you. But I remember it was on Christmas Eve, 1971, that I was at our church's Christmas Eve service, and something special happened during that time. I wasn't a Christian yet, but it was the first time I remember thinking about the real meaning of Christmas. And I can still picture myself in our sanctuary, and it's around midnight, and we have a Christmas Eve service there, a candlelight service. And I remember actually feeling something inside of me, and I didn't know what it was. And as I spoke to a friend about this, a friend who was a Christian, she said to me, you know, Curtis, I, I think that's God trying to speak to you. It was about a week later, on January 9th, 1972, that I, I went to a church with this friend, and I, I heard the gospel. I heard the story of Jesus. I heard the real meaning of Christmas for the very first time in a way that I understood it. I understood at that time at Christmas that God became a man by becoming a baby. And it wasn't just by us believing that he did that, that saved us. We had to have a relationship with him. We had to have him in our lives, not just in our heads. We had to know that he was in our hearts and not just in our memories. It wasn't just something that we read. It was something that we breathed and something that we believed and in that January of 1972, that was when I first gave my life to Jesus. And I'm thinking that there's probably some people here today, you are just like me in Christmas of 1971. You really are close to Jesus. You really want to know him. And you know there's something stirring up inside of you, but you haven't yet crossed the barrier of faith. You haven't yet come to that place where you go, oh, I get it. I get it. Jesus loves me. Jesus became a man so I could see what God is like. And Jesus grew, and as we talked to the children, he died, and by his blood we are forgiven. You don't have to understand everything about everything in the Bible, but we start there, and we believe that Jesus came to save us from our sins. And maybe today will be that day for you that you will begin to truly believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he's your God. And that's why he came. And so as we read here, as we listen to the word of God, God came to give us the Christmas gift. God came to give us a gift in Jesus. And this gift, as we see it, if you're taking notes in your outline, the first point is this, that the true gift of God is the true light and joy of Jesus and of his supreme rule. Let me read again Isaiah 9, verses 2 and 3. So if you have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the seats, underneath the seats, so if you'd look there and pass them in the opposite direction, if you already have a Bible, or keep it if you need it. And we're looking in the Old Testament, and it's past the middle of the Old Testament. So it's past the middle of Psalm. And you just move a little further forward and you'll come to the big book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. 
They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoicing when dividing the plunder. God has brought his light into darkness. And this light brought people rejoicing. This light brought them joy. And the Bible tells us that this isn't just any light. This is true light. Um, I'm, I'm happy. I, I don't want to embarrass him, but I'm happy to see Pastor Whalen here today. He's, um, he had his heart surgery a couple weeks ago. And he wanted to be at church last week. And uh, fortunately, his family sat on him so he wouldn't be there so he could rest. But he's here today. And I met Waylon at a church called True Light. And I began my ministry and internship at True Light when I was just a kid. And uh, Waylon actually wasn't there. He was actually in Hong Kong at the time serving. But later he came back as he was a missionary with the church called True Light. He came back and he started the Orange County Presbyterian Church. And that's the, first, the church where I first served full time with Waylon. But we met at a church called True Light. And the Bible tells us that this is Jesus. If you turn into the Gospel of John, so go to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John, the very first chapter and the ninth verse. And the Bible says there, the true light, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. And this is Jesus. John chapter 1 talks about creation. And it talks about how the creator became a man and put on flesh and came to live in our world, to set up his tent so that we might see him and get to know him. And in John chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus, the word of God, is called the true light. Just as the light that was shining and prophesied 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 9 has now come true in John chapter 1 and is still true over 2,000 years later, right now, right now. And this light is here to give us joy. And this light, the Bible tells us, came to us in a little child. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, the first part, it says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. This child would grow up. This child is the ruler of the universe. And this child is the ruler of our world. And this child is the leader of a government. When the Bible says that he is a child, it helps us to see that he's totally human. He came as a baby to be born. He came through Mary. He came into the world like you and I came into the world. Jesus is fully human, but he's also given. He is also a son that was given, and this is a reference to him being the son of God. Therefore, Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. And so we have perfect man, and we have perfect God, and he comes and he brings a government that it rests upon his shoulders. And in the world that we live in today, we need to know that now, and we've always need to know it. It seems really clear to us this year, having been an election year, and we see all the problems in our own country, 
But we don't have to just look at our own country. We can look around the world and we see their governments in disarray everywhere. But the good news is that Jesus came. And as a child, he came. And as a son, he grew. And as the son of God, he rules. And he gives us hope. And this is good news. And this gives us reason for great joy. But we want to know who this son is. We want to know who this child is. And so Isaiah tells us through four sets of double names who our Savior is, who this Messiah will be. And he tells us the names of Jesus, but the names are also the claims of Jesus. Whatever his name is tells us who he is as a person. And in the end of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, and he will be called these four names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, his first name. It means that he will have exceptional and effective wisdom. The word wonderful means astonishing. It can also be translated marvel or marvelous. Our counselor is wonderful, and in his wonder, he's marvelous. The word counselor means to have a plan and to direct it. To have a plan and to direct it. He's a counselor with wisdom. And wisdom so great that he can formulate a plan and he can fulfill that plan. Now, we all want counselors and we all need counselors. I've gone to many counselors in my life to help me through different problems of life. You go through guidance counselors in school. You go through career counselors in college. And sometimes when you have some emotional problems, you go and see a psychologist, a counselor. Sometimes as a pastor, I serve as a pastoral counselor. People need someone to listen to them. People often want someone to give them guidance and direction and help. And Jesus is that kind of counselor. But this word counselor doesn't mean that exactly. It's different. It means that he's the counselor with a plan that he will fulfill. He's a counselor that knows exactly what to do. He will devise what we need. He will direct our path and he will fulfill the plan for his life and for our life. He is a wonderful counselor with exceptional wisdom. And what that means for you and for me is that no matter where we are right now, no matter what problems we may have, no matter what uncertainty, we may be standing not at just a fork in the road, we may be standing at many forks in the road, and we don't know which way to go. We feel like there's only one way that is a good way, and all the others that lead us to disaster. But we don't have to worry if we're following God, if we're seeking after Jesus. Because if we are, and we're holding on to his hand, and we know he's holding on to us, then as our wonderful counselor, he has a plan, and that plan will not fail. We really don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, in our own wisdom, could make a choice and think we're doing the best thing, and we still don't know. But if we're following God, we can trust that the plans that he has for us, the Bible says, are plans to prosper us, and to guide us, and to lead us, and not take us into a place of harm a plan that will lead us to a hope and to a future. This is the kind of counselor we have. We don't need to worry. We can just live and trust him.
and walk with him. And he will make our plans succeed. We don't make our plans succeed. He's exceptionally wise. And even though we'll make mistakes, he can take our mistakes and redeem them and turn them into something good. Our wonderful counselor. But not only is he our wonderful counselor, he is our mighty God. He is full of omnipotence. He is full of all power. And that is a great thing to know. The word omnipotence and mighty God here refers to the fact that God is a champion. Mighty God could actually be translated as God hero. He has full power, full omnipotence to do anything he wants. And that is also for us. What that means is that God not only has all this power, but all that power is for us as well. He will use it to guide us. He will use it to counsel us. He will use it to fulfill his plans. And he does this in Jesus. Turn with me, please, to the New Testament, to 1 John. We were already looking at the Gospel of John. Now we'll look at the letters from John towards the end of the New Testament. So 1 John chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5, the last chapter of 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, and almost the last verse of that chapter and of that book. Verse 20, and talks to us about Jesus and who he is. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Who is Jesus? He is God. He is the full power of God. The Bible says in that last phrase, he is true God. And he is eternal life. This is the greatest of all his powers to you and to me. To give us real life. True life. Eternal life. The life we have now is temporal life. The life we have now, even if it's good, is still going to fade. No matter what gift we get here on earth, it's still going to end up broken or lost or useless or replaced. And no matter how healthy we are, someday we're going to all pass away. But there is a life after this life that is eternal life. There is a life after this life that is real life. There is a life after this life that God wants us to embrace now so that this life will be meaningful, but our future and eternal life will be glorious. And God uses his full power to allow for us to receive that life. And he does it in Jesus, that the full omnipotence of power, the complete power of God to do whatever he wants is available to you and to me in the life of Jesus Christ, his son, because Jesus is not only true light, he is true God and full of every power that you and I could ever possibly need. Isaiah goes on with the third set of names for Jesus. And he is now called Everlasting Father. And in this Everlasting Father, we find a love that exceeds all love. 
we find a compassion that exceeds all compassions. Our everlasting Father is a Father who loves us more than all the fathers of the world could ever love even one son. Our Father has shown us through His Son what He is like. If we look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 3, a verse that maybe you've heard of before, but a verse that means so much to us, especially on this Christmas morning. Hebrews 1, verse 3. The Bible says the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Not a partial representation, not a 99% representation, but a full 100% representation. The real deal, the real God is in Jesus. The Son, Jesus, is the exact radiance, the exact glory of God. And when we see Jesus, we see our Heavenly Father. Jesus is not the Father, but He and the Father are one. And He is like the Father. And so just as the Father is eternal, so is Jesus eternal. And just as the Father is compassionate, so is Jesus compassionate. And since we know that Jesus is compassionate, we should always know that our Heavenly Father is compassionate as well. In Psalm 103, verse 13, going back to the middle book of the Bible, Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. We think back to the Christmas story and the angel showed up to Mary and Mary was afraid. But what did the angel say? Don't be afraid. The shepherds were out in the fields and they were out there and it was dark and suddenly a whole host of angels showed up in the sky and they saw the angels and they were afraid. And what did the angels say to the shepherds? Don't be afraid. We need children to tell us not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. God tells us through Jesus, the child, don't be afraid. And we read here that our Heavenly Father, our compassionate Father, the Father of all compassion, has compassion on all those who fear Him. See, it's normal to fear God, just like it's normal to fear a bear or a lion. It's normal to, we ought to fear God. If we don't fear God, there's something wrong. But when we acknowledge that genuine fear of God, God says, don't be afraid. Are you afraid of something right now? Is there something you're afraid of? I don't know what it might be, but for each one of us, my guess is that deep in our hearts, even right now, just going down your spine, if you think about it, you literally can say, you know what, I do have a fear. There's something I'm afraid of in this life. There's something I'm afraid of for somebody I love. There's something I'm afraid of for my family. There's something I'm afraid of for me. There's something I'm afraid of for somebody I really care about. God says that if you bring that to me, 
I am your compassionate, loving, everlasting Father. And I say to you, you don't have to be afraid because I am with you. I am with you in my Son. I am with you in my Spirit. I am with you in this Christmas day, and I am with you always. And so we have this wonderful counselor with us always. We have a mighty God who is with us always. We have an everlasting Father who is with us always. And we have a God when we come to him and we say, God, I fear. He says, do not fear. And he will add to that place where there once was fear, peace. Would you like to exchange your fear for peace? I do. I want to exchange those places in my heart and in my spine where I feel fear. And I want to know God's peace. And that's the fourth name that we read in Isaiah. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Let me read on in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9. Because it tells us what kind of peace this prince brings. And it says there, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will give us his peace. When the angels came before the shepherds and they listened to the shepherd, to the angels singing, the shepherds heard the angels say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. This peace is only for those who turn to God and who please God. The Bible tells us what pleases God. What pleases God is faith. Faith pleases God. Faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Faith to receive the gift of God. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith in God, all things are possible. Not our faith making it all things possible but our God making it all things possible. And we place our trust in him who said to Mary, with God, nothing is impossible. No matter what we face, our Prince of Peace brings to us his hope, his glory, his love. And he brings to us a reign and this government and this kingdom that is full of justice and full of righteousness. Justice means perfect judgment. Have you ever been unjustly judged by somebody? I see a lot of heads nodding. Have you ever looked in the mirror and unjustly judged yourself? I think I see even more heads nodding. In our brokenness, and in our humanness, and in our weakness. We don't know how to judge. We don't know how to judge ourselves, let alone other people. Paul says, I don't judge any man. I don't even judge myself. I leave that up to God. 
And God will give us in Jesus perfect judgment. Now that could be pretty scary if it weren't for the fact that God will also give us perfect righteousness. Perfect judgment would mean you and I don't deserve what God's going to give to us. But perfect righteousness, did I say judgment? I say justice. If it was just perfect justice, we wouldn't get heaven. But with perfect righteousness, we do. Because Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus died the perfect judgment for your sins and for my sins so that we could receive what the Bible calls the righteousness of Christ. This is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is Jesus. The goodness of God is Jesus. The peace of God is Jesus. The truth of God is Jesus. The gift of God is Jesus. And he will reign in this world and he will reign in our hearts right now. Instant delivery. He will come into any heart and he will go into any life who will simply say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Come into my heart and be my savior. Be my God. Be my help. I'm a mess, and I need you. How much does Jesus want to help us? Do you think he wants to help us a little bit? Do you think he wants to just help us sort of like as much as we can take or as much as we can handle or as, as much as we are willing? No, I don't think that. I think Jesus loves us and wants us more than you and I could ever imagine. The Bible calls it zeal. Zeal. The Bible tells us that everything that we've just read about, it'll be accomplished by the zeal of the Lord Almighty. It is Jesus' zeal that will accomplish all the things that you and I may want, all the things that you and I may need. Zeal is a very strong emotion. It means something that we desire so intensely. The quality or the possession of it is everything that we want. God has zeal. A zeal that you and I can barely begin to understand. But it is a zeal that wants you and me to be part of his family. It's a zeal of why he came and became a man. It's the zeal of why he came here on the first Christmas so that you and I could receive the gift of God. Jesus had zeal. We saw it when he went into the temple at the beginning, at the end of his ministry. And when he went into the temple and he didn't see people worshiping God, he got mad. And he turned over the tables and he pushed out all the animals and he was showing the people that the temple of God was meant for people to worship and to be with God and to meet with God. And the Bible says that his disciples saw that in Jesus and they remembered a psalm, Psalm 69, where it said, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for worship will consume me. Zeal for being in the presence of God will consume me. And this is the zeal of the Son of God. This is the zeal of the Christmas gift of God. This is the zeal of the child that we worship this morning. And this is good news. And this is great joy. We remember again the words to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people. 
Nobody here is exempt from the promises of God's zeal, his love, and his grace. And the shepherds came to receive that gift from God as they obeyed the angels and went to the town and found the baby and worshipped him. And then they went out and told other people about him. And for every one of us who is a believer here, this is the call of God to you and to me, is to go out for the rest of the day and everybody you see, just say Merry Christmas to. Merry Christmas. I know a lot of times you go out and they'll say Happy Holidays. And we could think as believers that that could be a Christian greeting because holiday is simply another word for holy day. And this is a holy day to all people, whether they know it or not. And it is a happy holy day because God has given to us his son, Jesus. But Merry Christmas, I think, is far better because when we say Merry Christmas, we say a blessing upon the person who hears it. We are literally blessing them with the name of Christ. Merry Chris, Merry Christmas. And so when we say Merry Christmas, we are giving a benediction to other people. We are blessing them with the name of Jesus. And when we go out into the world, we shine the light of Christ, just as Christ came into the world to give the light in the darkness. So we come into this world of darkness to go out and to give God's light so that others may receive it, so that others may get the very thing that they need. We know that we don't always get what we wish for. But know this, we can always give what other people need. We don't always get what we wish for, but we can always give to other people what they need. And we all need Jesus. And we all need to give. And to give is a sacrifice. And the best times when we give is when we don't always get what we want, but give to others what either they want or they need. And this Christmas, we've had so many wonderful opportunities to do that. We've been able to help with Operation Christmas Child as the Lee family helped us to wrap dozens and dozens of presents. And as we went over to the warehouse in Irvine to help pack them and to mail them off, millions of packages through the, through the Operation Christmas Child and Samaritan's Purse, and you all participated in that in different ways. Some of you participated with World Vision and gave gifts to other people in the name of Jesus and in their name so that people around the world and children could hear the love of Jesus. You gave away yourselves when you went to Mexicali. You gave away yourselves. I know some people here gave money instead of giving presents to each other to help people who are sick and going through cancer treatments. You have learned to give and to give and to give of yourself, and you don't always get what you want in the giving, but in it, you've learned a greater joy. I received this delightful text, and I got permission to share this from Melanie Sterling. So I got this delightful text from Melanie Sterling, and as you know, she has three little boys, and the youngest one's Ison, and I don't know, Ison's maybe six or seven years old, and so Ison and his mom were talking, and, and Melanie was trying to explain to Ison that this year, honey, you're not going to get as many gifts as you normally get. You're not going to get as many toys as you normally get, and of course, the question is why? He says, well, we're going to give some money to World Vision, and they're going to buy gifts for children, and we're going to give money so that other children have gifts. And we're going to share in this way. What kind of gifts are we going to give to the children? Well, we're going to give them things like ducks. And Ison said, why can't I have the ducks? 
You know, why, why can't I get the ducks? He didn't understand. Like, why are we giving the ducks to the children? Mom said, no, no, we're going to give the ducks to the other children. And he goes, can't I get just one? Can't I get just one duck? And he answered, well, no, honey, of course not. But you're still going to get some toys. You're still going to get some gifts. And in that same story in your life and in my life, when we don't get what we want, it can be because we're giving to other people what they need. And this is what you and I can do as we go out into the world. We can give to other people what they need, and that is Jesus. But we cannot give what we do not have. And so I want to close this message and just ask you, do you have God's Christmas gift in your heart? Do you have Jesus in your heart? In that January in 1972, the pastor who preached gave me and others an opportunity to let Jesus into our heart. And I want to give all of you that opportunity as well. And if you've never, and if you're not certain that you have Jesus in your heart, then you can ask him, to come in right now and let your heart be that manger where Jesus comes in to live with you, to give you God's greatest gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and for your kindness and for your goodness. And Father, we pray that as we conclude this Christmas service this day, we would give you joy even as we express our faith. And so, Father, I pray and we pray for anyone here in this room who on this day would like to receive the Christmas gift of Jesus in their life and in their heart, and that they would say, and if you would, would you say a prayer like this? Dear God, I need you. And I open up my heart to receive the gift of Jesus Christ into my life to be my Savior, to be my forgiver, to be my God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for me, and I believe that you rose from the dead. I proclaim with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus, you are God. And I give my life to you. If you said that prayer, would you just look up at me and just, just raise your hand so I know? If you said that prayer, would you just raise your hand and let me know? Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this time and, and for your goodness to us. Lord, we pray that for every heart here, there would truly be Jesus inside. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of this gift. Thank you for great joy in your name. Hallelujah. Amen.